0: Well, I hope you're having a wonderful Christmas. I got to tell you, I always enjoy Christmas time at Grace. Last week, I had to miss, I was actually in Toledo helping, a, a trying to help a, a, a church that's struggling up there. And, and I was talking to Tim before I left how I hated uh, not being in the service at Grace. So I missed last Sunday. Glad to be with you this Sunday. I hope you're having a, a great time. And we've been doing this, you've been gifted card. How many have cards? And you've been ho- hopefully... Putting that into practice, we're really trying to blanket our area with 5,000 random gifts of generosity. And I've heard a lot of stories about people gifting other people. And, and sometimes it, it kind of takes a turn. Like uh, I heard from a couple this week that they said they were in a store and they decided that they wanted to gift somebody and they didn't have a card. And so they actually went out their car and they were trying to figure this out. They, they checked their card, didn't have one. And then they remembered they had seen somebody from our church in the store, so they went back in the store, tracked that person down, and said, do you have a card? And they said, yeah, I have a couple of them. Can, can we get one? And, uh, and ended up gifting somebody, but people have been doing this uh, all over the place, and it's just been great. I talked to a, a friend of mine who said he had decided to, to gift a lady that he knew uh, with, a, with a cash gift, and... And she was just kind of overwhelmed. She started crying. She was very appreciative, needed, uh, needed the help. And uh, he said after he did that, he decided to, to do the same thing with another lady. And, and so he, he got the gift together and he gave this cash gift to her. And then she responded a little different. She said, that's great. I'm going to Vegas. So you never know how people are going to respond to a gift. You know, and that's really not our issue. We just want to be generous uh, to others, to help them see what the meaning of Christmas is all about. When you talk about responding to gifts in different ways, I kind of learned a lesson when I was young. I had a friend after high school, and we both worked hard, and, and we, we hung together in the weekends, spent a lot of time in the mountains hunting and camping and stuff, and just really ha- had a great friendship. But after a few years, I was getting ready to go to a, a college out of state, so I was leaving town. And, uh, and he asked if I'd stop by his house on the way out of town. And, and so I did that, had everything packed into my truck and was heading out, stopped by his house, you know, and he just said, bye, he was on the edge of town, I was leaving anyway. And then before I left, he tried to give me some money, a couple hundred dollars. And I, you know, we didn't, neither one of us had money. And I was just like, no, there's no way. And we ended up getting into a huge argument And he actually was really angry with me that I that I wouldn't accept this. It was was just a weird thing that happened. And uh, and finally he told me these words, and they actually, this was in Pueblo Color, they rang through my mind the entire drive across the state of Kansas. That's a long time, by the way. And he said this: this is what rang. He said, Kevin, you don't know how to receive a gift. And he was so mad. I ended up taking the gift and, those, and, and left those words ringing in my ears all the way, as I said, through Kansas. Basically, if you think about it, there are three ways to respond to a gift. And when I say a gift, the, the Bible term for that is grace. I mean, it's a gift. One is we can just refuse it because accepting a gift can make us feel awkward. The other thing that we sometimes do is we we try to earn the gift. Because it is awkward, we accept the gift, but we we sort of try to earn it. We even do that now with a phrase, pay it forward, which there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, it's sort of like we're saying, yeah, I'm going to take this gift, but I want you to know I'm going to do something and, and sort of maybe deserve it. And so we have that, we have trying to earn it. And then the third way is we just accept it with joy for what it is, just pure grace. We just say, thanks. You know, I really appreciate that. And I think those three ways are how we respond to gift. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because Christmas is about the greatest gift of all. Really, gift-giving started with Christians who recognized that they had received the greatest gift in the universe... And so wanted to kind of celebrate that by giving gifts to other people. And, uh, and that's what we're trying to get back to. That's the Christmas story. In the Bible, there are four books called the Gospels. And each one of them, it's a history of the life of Christ written in the first century by someone who is connected to Jesus in some way. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when we think about Christmas, we typically think about the narratives of Matthew and Luke. I mean, Luke talks about the, the angels appearing to the shepherds and, and pronouncing the, the newborn king being born in Bethlehem. And the shepherds rushing uh, to find the newborn king, Jesus, laying in a feeding trough uh, in a stable. Or we think of Matthew's narrative, and his happens weeks, maybe months later than that. And he talks about the, the wise men coming in and, uh, and arriving and causing the stir in Jerusalem and, and all that. You know, they traveled hundreds of miles to pay. They weren't even Jewish. They traveled hundreds of, hundreds of miles to pay homage to the newborn king. We talked about, a little bit about that a couple of weeks ago. What's really interesting is that John starts his book off and he starts talking about Christmas in a completely different way. And here's why I find that interesting. Do you remember that John was actually the only disciple present at the crucifixion of Christ, right? And do you remember while Jesus was being crucified, while he was being tortured to death, he basically told John to take care of his mother because he was dying. And he, you, you get where I'm tracking with that, right? So here, John saw that. So what that means, and we don't think about this often, is that after the death and, and resurrection and ascension of Christ, that John probably had Mary, Jesus' mother, living with him in his household. Now think about it. In, the in the, say, a decade after Jesus, and, and let's say Mary's still living in, in John's household, If anybody meets Mary, what's the number one thing they want to know about? They want to know about the birth. Because a lot of them have personally heard the teaching of Jesus. I mean, Jesus had a public ministry that lasted three years. So a lot of those people in Palestine would have maybe already heard about that. So that's the buzz. But when they met Mary, then they could get a firsthand eyewitness account of something that happened 30 years before the ministry of Jesus. And I think that's the number one question she would have been asked. And I bet John heard more because he, he, she was living in his home. I bet John heard more about the birth narrative than any other disciple. Probably for years he heard it repeated over and over by Mary. And he probably, oh, Mary lives in your home? Well, tell me about the birth. You know, he probably repeated it himself. Yet when he starts his gospel, he describes the birth of Christ from a completely different perspective. And and that's what I want us to look at today. And it's in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, And before we continue, I just want to let you know that this, the word, the term word is, is Greek word logos. And it really talks about the, the reason or the power of the universe. So it packs a little bit in there, just so you know. Verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, here's John the disciple who wrote this book talking about John the Baptist. As a matter of fact, every time you read John in the book of John, it's always about the other John. But anyway... There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Verse 9. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came into his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What he's saying is... Not another physical birth, but yet it's a spiritual birth. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now I got to tell you, when John wrote these words, it blew everyone's mind. Because at the beginning, it's not apparent that he's talking about a person until he says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, this Greek word that's used for dwelt, it really means to pitch, pitch a tent among us. And so I don't know if you've ever spent much time in a tent, but, uh, but if, you, if you get in a tent like this, I, I recently became a granddad twice over, and if I was in here with one of my grandkids, Aria or Toby, we'd have a lot of fun. But if I invited one of you to come up here and get into this tent with me, eh, it'd be a little awkward, right? A little tight, a little close. You know, you probably want to think twice about that. Here's the thing. When I... Have you ever pictured when you'll stand before God? Because... Scripture says we will one day, and I don't know how you picture that. The way I always pictured it was kind of cosmic. I mean, God, he's there on his throne. I mean, there's light everywhere. You can't see him. I mean, it's just, and there's a lot of space involved. And some people, maybe from the imagery of Isaiah, they would picture that maybe in a throne room with high vaulted ceilings and the train of his robe. you know, that way, but. I think sometimes we should picture being in in God's presence a little more like this tent. Because the whole point of Christmas is that God came to close the gap between us and God. He came to dwell among us. He came to make a way... For us to be close to almighty God. And there are some issues with that. As a matter of fact, just thinking through this, there's three questions that I want to answer today about Jesus coming at Christmas. First of all, who was Jesus? Second, why did he come? And third, how do we receive him? Because that's what John's saying to as many As received him. Well first of all. Who is Jesus? Jesus. Is the most famous person. That ever lived in history. Jesus was the most influential. Human being. That ever lived. As a matter of fact. Our calendar is split. By the birth. Of Jesus. You can't get away. He's inescapable. In that way. And here. Here. We have John describing Jesus. And he's basically saying Jesus is God. He's he's describing a a biblical truth that we find all through scripture from Genesis to Revelation. That God exists eternally. One God in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So God exists eternally as one God in community. Kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around. And he's telling us, he says, Jesus is God. He's saying Jesus is the originator of life. He's saying Jesus is the light of the world. He's saying Jesus is the only begotten of God. He's saying that all that's just in the first 14 verses that I read. That's what he's telling us. What's shocking about it is Jesus is creator and he created everything that we see. That's what John just told us. But when he came into the world to, to pitch his tent with us, we didn't recognize him. The world did not recognize him. And even when he came to his own, his special chosen people, the Jewish people, they rejected him too. We all rejected our creator. And you have to wonder, how could that even be? How could it be that the creation wouldn't recognize his creator? Wouldn't that be hardwired into us? And the answer is no, not necessarily. Because when God created us, he gave us a special gift called free will. And now free will is an interesting thing because it's because of this gift of free will that we see all the problems we see in the world. There's evil in the world. People do wrong things. They rebel against God, do bad stuff. That's why, because of free will. But God says it's worth the risk because giving free will allows us to truly experience goodness and right and virtue And joy that you could not experience if you didn't have free will. If we were just robots pre-programmed to do something. We could not experience any of those positive things that God wants for us. And so that brings us to the next question. Is why did he come? Well he came. He had to come. Because the world was such a mess. It was a mess in John's day. Think about it. John, who's writing this, one of the 12 disciples, he's writing this. He's the one disciple we know was there watching Jesus Christ be tortured to death. And it didn't end there. A couple of decades later, he he, he sees Rome come in and wage war. They burn down the temple, the Jewish temple. They slaughtered one million Jewish people, John's brothers and sisters. They, the History tells us that the Roman slave market at that time was over flooded with hundreds of thousands of Jewish slaves. He, he saw all that. He knew that Peter and Paul had been martyred by Nero in Rome, killed for their faith. As a matter of fact, I don't know how much of this he knew or not, but he was the last living disciple. All the other disciples were killed for their faith before he he died. And through all that, John never lost his faith. As a matter of fact, it may be because he experienced all that. That's why he started the gospel of John the way that he did. The world was a mess then. And the world's a mess today. You know how it is when you talk to people about God. One of the things people say is they, they look around kind of like armchair philosophers. And they'll say, well, well you say God exists, but look at, look at the world. Look at all the evil. Look at the mess out there. And, and I get that. But they stop short. They need to keep looking because if, if they and Tim actually talked about this some last Sunday, the world's a mess. They're, it's being fixed. It's just we're not to the end of the story yet. We're, we're in the middle of the story, but that's another topic. But they look around, they see the world's in it, and they kind of judge God, but they don't look around all the way they don't do a 360 because if they did eventually it would come back to them and they would look at themselves they would look at themselves and realize hey i'm part of this problem i have sin you see armchair philosophers think god should deal with all that evil stuff out there but god shouldn't deal with all the evil stuff in here because that would mean god would have to deal with me You see, it's a limited view. God's telling us that the world's a mess because we're a mess. Because we've all sinned against God. It's funny because when you talk to people a lot about God, some some people get that real easy and some people struggle with that. And if you're struggling with that, I would just point out, you know, God gave us uh, the simplest thing is the Ten Commandments. He, He just said, here's my standard of righteousness, here are 10 things that you should obey. I mean, if you could just review a couple of those. Never lie. Never lust. Never take anything that doesn't belong to you. Never want what somebody else has. Keep God first in your life. Honor your parents. I mean, every day... He's saying all this, and it doesn't take long for us to look at that. If we're honest with ourselves, we realize we've all failed here. We've all blown it. We're all a mess. We all have evil in our heart because that's what rebellion against God is. God's righteous, his standard is righteous. When we don't live up to that, we're being selfish. We're doing wrong things. We're rebelling against God. That's evil. Call it for what it is. So why'd he come? Because the world's in a mess. And then that kind of brings us to the last point how do we how do we receive him but you see the problem with receiving him is that we're sin stained if you use the analogy being close with God if we climbed into a tent with God our sin would make that extremely awkward because he's holy and righteous, we would just burn up looking at his, his righteousness. You know, this is a problem. We're all sin-stained, and, and we don't realize it. A couple weeks ago, uh, I was changing my alternator on my truck. It actually went relatively smoothly. And I got all that in. It was an easy one. And after I was done, you know, and guys, you'll relate to this, you know, my, my, and maybe some of you ladies, my hands were just covered with grime. And so I go in, and I wash my hands, and I'm washing and washing, and I finally get them clean, which takes a while. You know what I'm talking about. And then I think, wow, my hands are clean. I'm back to normal. And then before I leave, somehow I catch a glimpse of the back of my arm. I know this happened to some of you guys, right? And you realize the back of your arm that you couldn't see while you were washing is filthy, like there's a big old grease streak all down my arm. And I realize I'm not even close to being clean. That's how it's going to be when we're in God's presence. We might feel that we're, we've done pretty good and that we're pretty clean when it comes to sin in our life. And, of course, we'll throw out the I'm not perfect, but we mean but pretty close. We, we do that. But if we were in God's presence, we would see every stain, everything. I mean, God knows everything about us. God knows every wrong thought that we've ever had everything we've done wrong every internet site we've ever visited i mean he knows everything everything you're thinking and it's sin if it's wrong and we're we're all infected we've all got a problem so it brings us to that last question as i was saying even though jesus came for the whole world when he came he split humanity Into two groups. That's what he's saying in verse 14. Those who receive Jesus and those who don't receive Jesus. Let me read it for you. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. He splits us into these two groups. And now I'm going to tell you, we talked about those three responses. So we can, one response when we're presented with grace or a gift is we can reject it. God's given us free will and allows us to do that. One way is in the face of the gift because it makes us feel so awkward, we try to earn it by giving something back, by doing something, by paying it it, so we feel less awkward about accepting the gift. But if we do that, if we try to pay back, we're not really experiencing true, true grace, the gift, for what it is. And then the third response is that we accept it for the grace that it is with joy. Now, if you refuse it, or if you try to earn it, You're not really receiving Jesus. The only way we receive Jesus is through belief. And that belief is faith in what Jesus did at Calvary was everything I needed to be right with God. So I place my belief or my faith or my trust in Jesus, who he is, and what he did for me. And that's how you receive Jesus. And so here's what I'm telling us. By the way, I know when I'm up here saying the coming of Jesus divides everybody into two groups. I know there's pushback on that. I know some of you are thinking, oh, two groups. This is what I hate about coming to church. This is what I don't like about Christianity. It's so exclusive. I mean, just two groups. And I'm telling you, there's no third group. And that just ticks people off. I I get that. But listen to me. Every religion in the world tries to deal with the obvious problem that we all have. Every religion in the world that believes there's a God realizes that we don't measure up to God. And so all religions of the world are just ways for us to somehow measure ourselves up to God. And and although those are different ways among different religions... Christianity is completely different from that. Christianity is saying, oh, no, no, no. There's nothing you can do to make yourself so good as to be okay with God. God has come all the way down to you to offer you a gift of grace. Because you can't do anything to make yourself right before him. And people... Sometimes they, they hate that. They say, that's so narrow-minded. Think of it this way. What, what, if you went, what if you weren't feeling well, you knew something was wrong, and you went to a doctor, and the doctor said to you, well, not that serious. If you, if you start eating a little better and you exercise, you'll be okay. And you did that and it didn't seem like you were completely better yet. So you went to, let's say you went to four doctors, but they all told you the same thing. Eat a little better, exercise, and you'll be okay. And let's say you still weren't feeling that great. So you went to a fifth doctor and the fifth doctor says, oh, oh no, that's the wrong diagnosis. Actually, you're in trouble. You're terminal. You need radical intervention you. You exercise and you eat a little bit better. You're going to be dead in six months. You need radical intervention right now. Now, would you respond to that doctor by saying this? Oh, that's so narrow-minded. That's, that's so closed thinking. No, you'd respond this way. You'd say, well, I don't know if you're right or, or wrong. You might be right, doctor, or you may, might be wrong. But I need to find out. Because apparently my life may depend on it. That's what we're saying. That's what God's telling us. We're worse than we think. We need radical intervention. We need outside help. We are helpless to save ourselves. I don't know how many of you have ever been in kind of a helpless situation? I remember when I was a teenager in high school, I used to drive with a different buddy of mine up into the mountains, and I had an old four-wheel drive international scout, and, and so we'd go up and kind of just have fun, and, and I went up west of Buna Vista, one of my favorite places, just a, a dirt road through the mountains called Cottonwood Pass, some ghost towns up there, just had a blast. One time we dropped over the the western side of, of the mountains to go visit this this lake called Taylor Reservoir that I had never seen before. And so we we dropped over, it's just you know maybe 30 miles away and we drove to it, this all dirt roads. We got to Taylor Reservoir, the water was way down. And so it exposed just acres and acres of mud flats, and nobody was around. And so I took that uh, I took my scout out there onto the mud flats, and we were just kind of doing donuts and slinging mud all over the place and we were just having a blast driving around. We did that for a couple hours and then at one point I was going to another place on the mud flats and, and on, there was a stream that cut through the mud flats feeding the lake and where this stream went through is about maybe six feet wide and about two feet deep. It's just cut right out of the mud and then there's kind of a gravel bottom and the, the stream's only a couple inches deep. Well I, I you know was roaring across that and I came and I dropped down into the stream. And then when I thought I was going to pop up on the other bank, I didn't pop up. I plowed right into the mud bank. That was like bumper high mud. It completely swallowed my front tires. So I'm in this mud. I have four-wheel drive, but my front tires are just spinning. They aren't budging. They can't push any more mud. I was going at a pretty good speed when this happened. I'm wedged in here. And my back tires... They're spinning, but they're in the stream. And even though it's only a couple inches of water, the water is washing the gravel away from my tires. And my vehicle is just kind of sitting down like this. And I'm quickly becoming something called high-centered, meaning, anyway. Anyway, so I'm becoming high-centered, and I need help. And I realize there is nothing I can do. I can't go back. I can't go forward. I can't go sideways. It was kind of comical because I actually had a canoe strapped to the top of my vehicle. If I could just flipped it, I could have floated out, you know, but n- nothing. I was just stuck. And, and almost nobody was around. And, and dad had always taught my brothers and I to be self-reliant and independent and not need anybody. And I'm sitting there just embarrassed. I mean, I'm stuck. There is nothing I can do. And I don't think anybody can help me either. Because for somebody to help me, they have to come onto the mud flats and start trying to tug out this wedged-in vehicle. And the same thing's going to happen to them. They're just going to sink down. And then finally, a guy was in a Jeep. And between the two of us, we had an, a, enough log chains that we could chain together and some rope to make this really long line to where he could pull us out from where he was on solid gravel, which was about 50 yards away. And finally, after a couple of hours of working that, he got me out of there. But my point is this. Sometimes we have to admit, as independent as we think we are, that we need outside help. That's what Christmas is all about. We can't do it ourselves. God had to come and dwell among us, his creation And show us a way, and it gets way darker than that. He had to actually give up his life in payment of our sins. But in doing that, he made a way that we could receive forgiveness, grace, a gift. And we can be close to God. And the deal is this. At the end of our lives, we're all going to be in God's presence. And you can picture it this way. We're either going to go into the tent of God's presence with Jesus or without Jesus. And if we go in there in God's presence without Jesus, we will experience terror. That's what scripture is telling us. And if we go in there into God's presence with Jesus, having received him through belief, we will experience forgiveness and love and joy. God's saying there's one way. You either accept my son, you receive him through belief, or you reject him. There's no third group. And so here's my question for you. Have you come to a place in your life where you've received Jesus by placing your belief or your faith or your trust in him and in him alone? And if you haven't received Jesus, why not? God's sent Jesus because he loves you. In spite of your sin and in spite of my sin, he knows everything about us and he loves us enough to send Jesus to rescue us. But we have to respond by receiving him through belief. I'm going to ask a question. I'd like everyone to bow their heads right now. And here's the question. If you're sitting here and you're realizing you're not sure, let's say, that, that you've received Jesus by placing your faith in Christ, who he is and what he's done for you on the cross, If you're not sure about that, I'm telling you, you are missing the biggest gift in the universe. And if that's true of you, you're just not 100% sure. Then here's my question. I want to ask you, are you ready today for the first time to, to just nail this? To just make a decision that yes, I'm placing my trust in Christ and only Christ. Who he is and what he did for my salvation. Realizing I can't do anything to add to that. Our heads are bowed. And and I know some of you don't know me. If you knew me, you'd know I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. That's why our heads are bowed. But if you're sitting here saying, I need that grace. I don't know that I've tapped in, that I've received Christ through belief. I don't know that I've done that. If you have that need, I want you to just raise your hand where I can see it. I'm not going to ask you to come down here or stand up or anything embarrassing. I see you right back there. Just raise your hand. Yeah, that's me. I want to receive that kind of of a gift through belief. I'm ready to do that. I see you back there. Thank you. Thank you very much. Just hold it up. Let me see you. And then put it right back down. See ya. Thanks. Anyone else? Again, I want to embarrass anybody, but here's what I want to do. If that's you, or maybe that's you and you didn't have the guts to raise your hand. i telling you, God loves you. He's waiting for you. That's what Christmas is all about. And as soon as you respond to him with trust and belief, with faith in Christ and, and just Christ, that's when you become a believer. You, you can express it to God like this, and I'd like to lead you in a prayer that just expresses that newfound belief, that trust in Christ alone. So God knows your every thought, so you can just pray along with me silently in your own words to God, silently. and he'll come into, He promises he'll come into your life forever if you respond with faith. Something like this. Father God in heaven, I I thank you for creating me, and I know that you know me better than I know myself. And Lord, we both know that I've sinned and rebelled against you and your standards, sometimes knowing it, sometimes not even realizing it. But either way, there's no excuse. I deserve the punishment. The right thing is for me to be punished. That's justice. God, I also understand that you love me and you've given me free will not to sin and rebel against you, which we've all done, but to love you back. And God, right now, I'm placing my faith in Jesus, who he is, the son of God and what he's done, died for my sins. I'm putting my belief, my faith, my trust in Jesus and only Jesus, nothing else. And God, I'm asking you to forgive me and to come into my life based on that. And Lord, I also recognize that, that you've called me to live a life of following you. God, help me to do that. Come in and change my life. Help me reorient my life towards you. Lord, thank you for saving me. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.